What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. showers. A young laborer out of Montana worked two and a half hours away from home. The commute was bad enough that he opted to stay in a camper on the job site. Showers boss took a liking to him quickly. The company kept a small number of workers on the site. Because of that, Showers was frequently asked to perform tasks he wasn't trained to do. So I was working out of two and a half hours out of our hometown, traveling every week to work, Monday through Thursday. Friday and Saturday, you had the choice to work or not. So I was commuting to work and staying in a camper on the job site that, yeah, I don't even go into that. Well, it was... <sighs> that day, the crew were working a bridge rehabilitation project. The bridge itself was very incomplete. Water barrels were used to form guardrails. One car veered and knocked several barrels off the side of the bridge. Showers was tasked to fix the problem. He was asked to operate a forklift to bring the barrels back on the bridge. This was something Showers wasn't trained to do. What could he do? There wasn't really many people on the job site. And since my supervisor really took a liking to me, he asked me to do practically everything he wanted done. Well... He was two and a half hours away from home, on the job site he camped out at. He needed the paycheck. The forklift was on the other side of the bridge. Showers hopped in and started driving it. He was right at the start of the bridge when he turned and saw a vehicle speeding straight for him. This is illegal. Forklift operators take precedence, but it doesn't matter when a car is barreling down your rear. Showers was forced to drive onto a weak patch of dirt that was freshly laid that day. Well, <clears throat> the car pushed me to the side so much that the hillside on my right-hand side and the dirt not being compacted started to cause the forklift to lift up. Well, I tried to tilt the forklift back down and it wouldn't tilt down. It was just slowly creaking up to tip over. So I buckled my seatbelt and went to go jump out, being that I never got trained to even drive a forklift. Wasn't even qualified to be on the forklift. Yeah, so I didn't know what I, 
protocol was. Yeah, what protocol was, which is to stay in the forklift as it rolls. So I jump out, which I would have been able to jump out, but the seatbelt wrapped around my leg as I jumped out. So I swung out instead, breaking two of my ribs off the floorboard of the forklift. And by this time, the forklift's rolling down the hill. Well, I was able to crawl around the forklift onto, so it's onto its side where the floorboard is that I landed on, then it's up top, so I was able to get to the bottom side of it, and then it rolled again, and I was able to clear it, but then I wasn't able to clear the top of it, and the top of it, where the um, boom is for the forklift, I wasn't able to clear that, and there's a dirt pile big ass dirt pile down at the bottom of the hill so that since I wasn't able to clear it it landed on my pelvis and my right arm and like sunk me into the dirt so it didn't split me right in half it just crushed every bone from my pelvis down pretty much well as I was laying there I, I was conscious through the whole accident as I was laying there I could look to my right and see my forearm just laying right next to me in the dirt just the, not my forearm, but the muscle in the forearm was laying right next to me, like just covered in dirt, blood everywhere. I had to lay there for about 10, 15 minutes because they had to get a bigger machine, which is on the other side of the bridge, across the bridge, down the hill safely, had to hook up to lift the forklift off me, but they also had to wait for medical personnel to get there because it's just protocol. You don't know if the person's gonna meet. They didn't know if I was gonna bleed out or not. Not the person. But um, as I was laying there with the forklift on me, I was just in complete shock. I had no pain whatsoever. And I just, the hardest part about that was probably just breathing because <laughs> it felt like my breathing was restricted. So I was just laying there just, just trying to breathe. So finally, 15 minutes into laying on the ground and whatnot, a helicopter ends up showing up to the job site. Keep in mind, this job site is in the middle of nowhere. No cell reception, no nothing. So somebody had to drive into town to get cell reception to call for medical personnel and the next town over, Wilsaw, Montana, is a blink of an eye town, so they don't really have that many medical personnel. Definitely not the medical personnel I need for my situation. And, um... So a helicopter came from Bozeman, Montana, lands on the bridge up on top of the hill Billings. where I just rolled down from. Hmm? Billings, Montana? No, it came from Bozeman. Oh, but you went to Billings. No, I didn't. Yes, you were at Billings Hospital. Oh. Well, then the Bozeman helicopter flew me to Billings, I guess. I thought they flew me to Bozeman. I, I didn't know. But um, as I was, I, so I was laying in the helicopter, they kept asking me questions. Just, like, what's your date of birth? What's your name? Who can we call? And the only number I could recite was my girlfriend here, and I just kept telling them to call her, call her. So finally I get in the emergency room. They lay me on a table, or whatever it's called. The bed that they have. And, um... As I'm laying there, I'm just looking around the room, and there's, like, 10, 15 people in this emergency room, just all wild now not knowing what the fuck to do and um as i'm laying there they start cutting all my clothes off me my car heart jacket my fucking my shirt my pants everything they cut everything off of me 
So once everything was cut off me, I lifted my head and looked up and I seen my legs just looking like Derrick Rose's leg times 10, pretty much. Just bones sticking out everywhere and com just com my legs were just completely done for, let's put it at that. And um, they slammed my head down, put a strap over my head, told me that they didn't want me to lift my head in case I broke my spine. And then they put the anesthesia mask on me. Still felt no pain at this point. And um, as I'm laying there. Listener, before Lauren continues, I want to ask you a question. How much of your person are you willing to lose? How many limbs? I want you to think of a number. Hold on to that thought. Still not feeling any pain. I felt them make this midline incision in my stomach and um, start putting my ribs back into place. Literally, I, like, I felt, like, I don't know if it was a feeling or a hearing, but it was like... <laughs> and finally I passed out. And um, Billings, Montana deemed that they weren't qualified enough to do this, what needed to be done to keep me alive, basically. So then they mercy flighted me to Harborview in Seattle, where they didn't even know what to do, and they're a level one hospital facility. I mean, Grey's Anatomy's based off that hospital. And um, yeah, I can't really tell you what happened from there because I was unconscious, but she can tell you, so. So basically, we got the first call around like five, PM, um, and then it went from, you know, slight damage to he's in intensive surgery, they're fixing some bleeding in his pelvis, and this and that, and then we got a phone call around 9 p.m. saying that he was being mercy flighted to Seattle because during his surgery he'd lost blood flow to his legs and that his arm was screwed. And then around four, and that I booked, his mom and I booked our tickets that moment to get to Seattle the next day. And his sister started driving because um, she lived in Kalispell, so it was a really long drive for her. And then around 4 a.m., we got the call that both of his legs had been amputated and his right arm had been amputated and that his kidneys were failing and he was in critical condition and we needed to get there as soon as possible because they didn't know even if he'd survived throughout the night. So then when we got to Seattle, um, we got there early the next morning and they took us straight up to his room. And at this time he still had, so his left leg was amputated up to his hip and then his right leg was amputated halfway down his thigh. Um, but they said that all of that tissue was still dying and that his pelvic area, like his pelvic bone, his hip bones, everything was just crushed. And so um, they took us in for like a family conferencing that they did every day to like update us on how he was doing. And they took us in and they let us know like all of that tissue was dying, that his pelvis was essentially like they were unable to save it. They didn't know how to save him really because um, his blood flow, there was like no blood flow down there. There was, they were at a loss. They didn't know how they were gonna save him. And there, 
old, like, top pelvic doctor-surgeon guy. I can't remember if it was a doctor or a surgeon. But he was retired, and he just so happened to be in Seattle that weekend, and they actually brought him in for a consultation. And then the next day, they brought us in for another family meeting, and they told us about um, a hemicorporectomy surgery, which was essentially the only way to save his life. But it also meant below his belly button would be amputated. Like right now, his it's got his belly button, and then he folds up. And so we were all like super shocked, didn't know how to react, and none of us really knew how Lauren would react because, you know, he's an 18-year-old guy living life to the fullest. Like, we were living life amazing before this accident. Due to the complexity of Shower's injuries, he was transferred to a level one trauma center where his examination was notable for a large left groin wound with gross feculent contamination. He had significant left thigh and perineal degloving and absence of bilateral lower extremity pulses. His right upper extremity remained with a tourniquet in place above the elbow and nearly complete amputation distally. Showers was taken immediately to the operating room where he was found to have ischemic left colon and rectum and avulsion of the bladder dome. He sustained catastrophic disruption of his pelvic ring, including spinopelvic dissociation, severe comminuted fractures throughout the entire left innominate bone, and complete dissociation of the right hemipelvis. All bone was disvascular. There were no viable targets for revascularization of the right lower extremity. The right upper extremity was ischemic and not viable distal to the tourniquet which had been in place for greater than six hours. The sigmoid colon and rectum were resected. The orthopedic team performed an acute internal left hemipelvectomy. On the right, an above-knee amputation was performed, allowing more proximal tissue to demarcate viability for later coverage. The right upper extremity was amputated above the elbow. Showers was transferred to the intensive care unit for ongoing resuscitation. On hospital day one, Showers underwent percutaneous placement of bilateral nephrostomy tubes. On day two, he returned to the operating room for creation of an end colostomy and additional debridement, leaving him with a non-viable right pelvis, including the innominate and sacrum, genitalia, and right lower extremity. On day four, Showers was extubated, allowing for a frank discussion with his family, a discussion of how much he was willing to lose, to live. And so, you know, obviously there were fears in our heads that maybe he wouldn't want this surgery or he'd rather die than lose half of his body. But his sister really fought hard for them to let him make that choice. Because at the time, his mom was his POA, because that's what happens when you get in an accident. And since we were all so distraught, like, she didn't know what decision to make. She didn't know whether to have the surgery done and him wake up and hate her for it or not have the surgery done and he die and her feel like she killed her son. So she was having a really hard time processing all of that weight on her. So his sister fought really hard for them to take him off of the innovator, the breathing tube, and let him make the decision. And so after like a day or two of like consultations and talking, they finally like brought us in. 
they brought him off the intubator and kind of took him off his sedation a little bit. Um, um, so they took him off the breathing tube and everything, and he woke up, and he kind of had an idea of what was going on, because before this, like the two days before this, he was kind of waking up a little bit more, and he was writing to us on paper, like, am I going to be in a wheelchair? I remember the whole accident, like all sorts of things. Um, and his mom and I actually saved all of those papers. But, so he had an idea that, like, something awful had happened to his body. And they wake him up and everything, and they explain to him, you know, like, this is what you have left, this is how we think we can save you, but this is what you'll lose. You'll lose the lower half of your body. You may die in surgery. All of this, and... I mean, from that moment is when I knew that he wasn't going anywhere because he looked them dead in the eye and he told them he doesn't care if he's just a head on a plate. They're going to do the surgery and they're going to keep him alive. And so that really brought a lot of hope for us that, you know, he was a fighter, which we already knew because he was still alive. And so then the next day, I believe, is when they brought him in for surgery. It was a Wednesday. And the thing about the surgery, though, is they had to go in and remove all of the dead tissue till they got to healthy tissue. and But they had to make sure that they left enough healthy tissue to close him up. And then they'd also have to wait 48 hours to make sure that that healthy tissue didn't die. So that Wednesday, it was six and a half hours of just sitting by the phone, going crazy, waiting for the doctors to call us, letting us know that he didn't die in surgery. His mom was so freaked out. We were in Seattle at the time, and we're from Montana. His mom picked up a big trash can and went and cleaned up the streets of like four neighboring blocks of where we were staying because she was so just freaked out. And so we finally got the call that he made it out of surgery, all of this that we should come in so that they can let us know how it went and so we come in we do another family meeting and um they let us know that they were able to get to viable healthy tissue but that they literally couldn't go any higher than they did so if this tissue didn't survive if it wasn't enough to close them up essentially that was it there was nothing more they could do and so the next two days of waiting to make sure that that tissue didn't die and waiting with, for that next surgery. With my intestinal organs out of my body into the bed, on, laying on the bed in plastic bags. Yeah, this midline incision he has, it was open and all of his organs were out in bags. And so, and then after the surgery, his entire bottom section was open. Like it was bandaged and stuff and he always had a sheet on, but it was open, not closed up. And so it was just like those next two days was just like hoping that when Friday comes and they do the closing surgery that it'll be fine, he'll get closed up, everything will be healthy, and then Friday comes along and they pull him in for surgery and it was another six hours of waiting, but we figured the longer we're waiting, the better that means for the news because I mean if it's short that means that they weren't able to close him up or something went wrong and he like died or something so the longer the surgery take kind of the more relieved we felt in like a really strange way and so we finally get the call 
that they were able to close him up. All of the tissue was viable. They ended up using like his bottom abdomen muscles to close him up because they can't just close him up with skin. They needed tissue and muscle and skin and all of that. And that's why it was so like scary. If one small factor of it didn't survive, then he wouldn't be able to be closed up. And on top of that, with the news of all of that and him making it was when we were presented with the fact that because he had no pelvic bone, because his pelvic bone, his hip bones, um, they told us that without those bones, he probably would never be able to sit up again. He'd be bed bound for the rest of his life. They weren't aware of any type of prosthetics or um, transplants or anything like that that would allow him to sit up again. And so that was a really big thing for everyone to come to terms with. But we were just happy that we still had him and he was still alive. And then um, he was back on the breathing tube for a little bit before he was like, screw this. Like, I want to be off this breathing tube. The reason why I was back on the breathing tube is because my lungs collapsed after the surgery. While on the breathing tube, I caught pneumonia. Uh, during the surgery, I got a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot on your on your lung. So I'm still getting treated for the pulmonary embolism. And then the other health complication that came from the surgery was a uh, abdominal abscess infection, which I'm still dealing with sadly. But as of now, with everything done, I am currently at the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, and we're getting my prosthetics and getting me set up and into a wheelchair and ready to live life again. So hopefully we'll be able to restart our life. Which is why I was so excited about that bucket, which is why I posted that video because that was the first time he got to sit up since his accident. And his accident happened on the 27th of September. And he got to sit up two days ago, so the 16th of December. So that's almost... Almost. Three whole months yeah. of not being able to sit up. But the doctors that did the surgery said I'd be bedbound for at least nine months before. They also said he was going to die in a month. Yeah. So the fact that we're where we are, that he's smiling and breathing and <laughs> sitting up, and that it went from them thinking he was either going to die in a month to it would be at least a year or like nine months to a year till he even got to rehab and then like six months of rehab and who knows if he could ever sit up again to three months down the road he's already in rehab he's getting his prosthetics he's we're expected to be home home discharged to go home with his prosthetics in hand in a month so it went from a year and a half to four, four or five months in total so and so Pretty that's... After his recovery, Lauren Showers was left with one hand. When I say one hand, I mean that's the last complete limb he has. But he seems to be thriving. He has a popular YouTube channel that I can't recommend enough to you. Hey guys, we're finally back. No, we've been gone for a couple months, but we finally got some footage for you guys, nice and edited and all clumped together into one video. We took about three different trips. He says he finds it rude when people ask about his sex life. 
On his channel, he posts frequently about his world travels as well as health updates. Towards the beginning of the episode, I asked you how many limbs you would lose, just so you could live. I ask you now, would you be as strong as Lauren Showers? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.